1989, in December of that year, was the Romanian Revolution. And yeah, we were on the streets. I got, for the first time in my life, I got the machine gun, you know, in my hand, and people were fighting on the streets, and just an experience of a life and death. Welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and today we'll meet a young man who pastors an exciting, growing church in the city of Arad, Romania. Christian Barboso will tell his personal story of persecution by the communist dictator, but also how God used that experience to prepare him for a life of ministry. If you'd like additional information about today's guest and his church, please visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com, where you'll find links and even an extended conversation with Christian, which we didn't have time for on today's broadcast. Again, that's found at firstpersoninterview.com. I first met today's guest when he arrived in this country fresh from the Romanian Revolution in order to study at the Moody Bible Institute. You can only imagine how intimidated he was to come to America after his experience growing up under communism. But God had plans for Christian, and his work as a pastor and Christian leader today is remarkable. I've visited Christian and his church in the city of Arad, but on a recent visit to the States, Christian sat down in my studio for a conversation about life now and then. Well, I grew up in uh, communism, probably that's the major story of my childhood, in a village with uh, two to four hours of electric power a day, lots of shortage and waiting in long lines to get that uh, little bread every Saturday, checking out for the very restricted products that were rationed throughout uh, uh, that region at that time. Did you accept that as normal? Well, you know, what did I know of anything else? And uh, that that was normal. That was normal. And, you know, didn't have anything bad about it because we just didn't know anything better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's has been a, an interesting experience uh, looking back at it because today, you know, I'm thinking like, who in the world is going to live like this? So um, two years ago, we've been to Nepal with a mission trip and we were like, going back, you know, in my past and mm-hmm. like, hey, I relive this stuff. Mm. Yeah. People still live, live like that today. Oh, yeah. In many places. And yeah. So when, when was your awakening, so to speak, and did it coincide with the revolution in Romania? Well, it was very close to the revolution. Uh, I um, came to know the Lord. It was a process, 1985, 1988. Um, my grandfather from my mother's side, he was a believer, although uh, my parents and the folks around our family didn't want me to really go to church with him or talk about Christ. He's been a quiet, I would say, strong influence in my life. At the same time, uh, my only, <laughs> my roommate in school, uh, the person that I was assigned to stay in the same desk with him for four years in high school, he was the only repenter or evangelical believer, pocket in our class. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to stay with this guy, you know. That's what you call evangelicals, uh, repenters? Well, that's right. That's how they call us in Romania then. And uh, praise God, they still call us today. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the, the testimony of this guy and his relationship with God, his integrity, it just uh, made me rethink all of my presuppositions and, you know, all the judgments I put upon him. And then in 1988, I went uh, into the mountains. I love to hike. And uh, I uh, I was just um, 
entranced with the great design of God's creation. And I just couldn't make sense to me that everything would just come out of a mistake. Sounds like the book of Romans. Well, well, that's basically the verse that stuck to my mind. I met a group of young believers that had a Bible study there, running from, you know, all of the secret police that was following them. And one of them was a good friend from the same village. And he came to me and I told him my struggles. And uh, he clearly saw in me that I was moved by something. And uh, he said, well, read Romans 1, 19 and 20. You know, since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes have been clearly seen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this thing just speaks to whatever I feel right now. Mm-hmm. So, and to me, that was probably the door opener to consider there might be some truth in the scripture. And from that time on, I start uh, coming closer to the church and, you know, through the back door of creation, kind of to the front door of the cross. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that was it. So you were a Christian when the revolution happened? Uh, yes. Yes, I was a Christian. I actually, <laughs> I was recruited in the army uh, at the age 18th in 20th of January, 1989. The same day I remember when George Bush Sr. was elected as president of the United States. How about that? I know, the same day. And, uh, um, you know, I ended up, was very cold that day. I ended up uh, on a huge platform with hundreds of you know, new people in there. You know, Conscripts, and, right? That's right. Young and, men who were forced into yes, service? Yes, well, everybody was recruited, men of age 18. And uh, I thought I'm going to the Rangers because that's where uh, on my paper was written. But uh, uh, they found out that I'm a Christian. And as usual in Romania, uh, if you're a Christian, especially a repenter, you always got some type of a twist to your story. So, um, meaning they twisted your life. So they uh, sent me to a militarized labor camp. Uh, it's called the Diribao, Munch. You know, many believers have been there, so I'm not any hero on this. But uh, uh, it was a shocking experience for me because you know, at the age of 18 to go there, I, I knew what that means because lots of people. Uh, coming out of years of being there two, three, four, five years, uh, they all came with horrible stories in their life. So, so you're like a, a prisoner? Well, uh, it wasn't like a gulag or, or a prison per se. It was part of the military. But instead of treating you as a normal military unit, they will uh, just send you to do all kinds of dirty jobs. Morning through evening, all of the disciplined people, all of the disciplined officers were there too. So you had lots of criminals, thieves, people with, uh, you know, record, like prison record in their lives, uh, others that were caught crossing the frontier, the border, you know, and some Christians too. Did you feel like God had abandoned you? Well, I'm telling you what, I mean, that that was a major experience in just throwing me into the fire, a furnace. And, you know, God, I mean, God was just incredible. You know, that colleague of mine that shared the same desk with me for four years in high school, that mm-hmm. was my major, I would say, young person influence in my life. We were in the 10th grade and we were dreaming, you know, wow, Christian, we're going to go into the army. Wouldn't it be great to be together? So we had no clue, absolutely no clue. But that day... They start calling our names by the first letter of the last name. And because I am Barboso, I was among the first. So after three or four hours staying there, just in the same position out in the cold, I heard his name being called. I'm like, oh, maybe you're just another guy. And that guy was called. He was sent to the same battalion, to the same company, to the same platoon, to the same group 
I was number two. She was, he was number three. And he slept on the bed on top of my bed in the same room. That means in a lot of chores that they will send us to do. I remember at night we were, you know, they had us wash the floor with a brick because there was no soap. And, you know, just you know, spitting on us and hitting us and all of that. And I was crying like, Lord, where are you? I'm a new believer. I thought, you know, life is going to be different with you and all of that. And this guy were there by me, Christian, you know, trust the Lord. You know, he will just pray over me. We'll go on the stairway. Nobody will see us. He'll pray with me. I mean, you know, it was like the guardian angel was by me right there, you know. So, uh, yeah, truly, I mean, in the midst of all of that trial, I had this light of mine. Let it shine, you know. <laughs> well, besides that, and that's a tremendous story, but besides that, how did you survive that experience? And how did God lead you? Well, I've been there for about four months. I should have been there for the whole track. Uh, I don't know, a year or two, depends how much they wanted us to be. Normally, it was a year and four months. But um, anyhow, so after four months <laughs> in Romania, under Ceausescu was a national festival called Cantara Romania, the Romanian song where everybody from any part of society had to participate. Like so, a talent show kind of thing? Uh, yeah, type of a deal. Mm-hmm. Like a pyramidal system type mm-hmm. of uh, who's getting on the top. And yeah. uh, American uh, Idol, Romanian <laughs> Idol in this case. Romanian <laughs> <laughs> communist idol, you know. <laughs> so they even had the guys from our platoon participate. And, of course, you know, at that time there were tons of informers in Romania. And uh, they had them in file that uh, through my childhood, my mother was a music teacher. And uh, I, I played, I mean, I sang, I uh, recited poems for the party. I mean, most of my life. And they said, well, you you had some experience in this. Why don't you just go and represent us doing something? So I was like, well, okay, you know, at least for one day I can get some clean clothes, maybe take a shower. We, we had showers like every two weeks, oh, one boy. pair of clothes, oh. day and night, the same deal, you know. Maybe I can eat some food. This not, could be your ticket out. You know, yeah. So at least for a day, you know. So that's right. I went there and I chose a poem, a patriotic poem, one of the Romanian kings. I didn't want to praise the dictator because most of the songs will go in that direction. And uh, uh, by the grace of God, I was able to, uh, you know, go f- to the next level. And then in the next two weeks, they said, hey, you're going to be to the next. I said, oh, that's great. Another free meal, you know, good, clean, you know, clothes. And I'm so okay on. with this. Yeah, that's right. So uh, for about six months, by the grace of God, I got to the national level. I was among the three final, uh, you know, people in the major final show. And that's where uh, some of the guys that were in the leadership in this communist organization realized that, hey, they cannot just have me there recite this poem and introduce me coming from this militarized labor camp unit because that's where usually yeah, you know sure. the garbage of society goes you don't ever get anything good out coming out of Nazareth you know <laughs> so I was like uh, well so suddenly they, they start telling me you know we're going to move you so we're going to move me we're going to move you to the Transylvanian ensemble of the army in uh, Oradia at that time and then inclusion I'm like what so they promoted me and made me a sergeant, changed all my clothes, all of this stuff. And in the meantime, they said, well, there is about two or three months up to the time that this competition will have the final shot. And, you know, a lot of these communist leaders will be there. So we want to train you to make sure that we are not taking any risk. So here is my chance. I mean, to get out and, and just have a different life. 
God did provide a way out for Christian Barboso, and we'll continue the conversation coming up in a moment on First Person. Well, next week is Christmas, and what should we do on Christmas for First Person? Well, how about the stories behind a few of your favorite Christmas carols? And what if we had music from, let's say, Jeff Taylor on accordion and Steve Wick on guitar and John Ketchings on cello? Okay, let's do it. Next time when you join us for First Person, we'll celebrate Christmas together with stories and songs from the audiobook project 101 Hymn Stories. Come, enjoy Christmas with us next time on First Person. Let's get back to the conversation with our Romanian pastor friend, Christian Barboso, on First Person today. And uh, I asked Christian about that competition that he once entered. Well, we had the three different uh, uh, things that I had to do. I won one of them, and on the other two, I got second and third place. But the major thing for me was not just winning, but getting this personal training with this Romanian professional actor from the theater, Every day, the army, the communist army will pay for me to go and be trained in public speaking and poems and so on. And what I I realized three, four years later, actually, when I was here at Moody in Chicago, looking back, that at that time when I had absolutely no idea whatsoever that I'll be in the ministry, that I'll come to Moody and then, you know, start a church. You probably didn't know there was such a thing. No, no. And, you know, at that time, I didn't realize that, but I, I... it just came to my mind how God used that, probably the darkness spirit of my life, to really uh, uh, bring some training and some mm-hmm. future and got even the communists to pay for a guy <laughs> to train me in public speaking. So so now as you stand in the pulpit as a minister of the gospel, you're drawing on that experience that the that's communists That's exactly gave right. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I was in Moody through the homiletic classes at Dallas Seminary, everybody was trembling. I just loved them because, <laughs> I mean, that guy was really tough with me. If you can survive the communists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, it, it was a good experience. All right. But you're still in, the, in a communist army under a dictator. Oh, yeah. At that time. Yes, that's clear. Yeah. It was in 1989 that was happening during the summer and the fall. And as you know, in December of that year was the Romanian Revolution. So uh, uh, that was another, it was like an intense microwave moment of my life. You know, everything just comes in one year altogether. And yeah, we were on the streets. Uh, I got for the first time in my life, I got the machine gun, you know, in my hand and people were fighting on the streets. And I mean, it's just a, just an experience yeah. of a life and death. I've stood with you in a rod where people died. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yep. So during the revolution, you're in the army. And then everything just falls apart. What happened to you? Well, I was there to fall apart, too. (laughs) Because, you know, I I had some plans in my life based on the old system. Now, what should I do with my life? Is the new freedom, you know, lots of opportunities. So, uh, obviously, the first thing, I joined a church. I got baptized. I was so excited about ministry. But at the same time, I wanted to look at the future. What do I do with my life? And I uh, became a border guard. I worked as a border guard for about a year and a half uh, while I was preparing to go and uh, try a law school uh, in Romania University. And while I was at the border, that's where God challenged me with uh, what about doing some type of a ministry. And I met uh, a Romanian pastor from Chicago, and uh, I had a talk with him. He challenged me on that, and uh, with the help of his church, uh, I was able to come and uh, get in touch with Moody, 
Uh, I didn't speak English at the time. I really didn't know anybody here. They paid for my first year in school. And really, uh, I mean... I, you know, I mean, I, I can land it on the moon here. Well, you're this tough, really different. You're this tough border guard, uh, former army member, but you're out of your element. I mean, you're coming to a country that's got to seem just as foreign as anything on, oh, it on is. earth to you. It was. I mean, I, I cried at Moody my first two months, writing like 30 page letters to my parents <laughs> and all of that. In a way, I cried for joy. On the other hand, I just cried because it was such a strange feeling to me, everything. When did you really feel that God called you to preach? What was interesting that uh, um, landing at Moody, I didn't know about my gifts. I didn't know anything about what God wants with my life. And that's, that's, the, that's the full grace story of my, my testimony in a way or another. And while I was at Moody, my first year, you know, I knew that uh, this church is going to end up with their sponsorship. What am I going to do for the next year? And in the winter of uh, 1991, I wanted to work. I couldn't find any place to work, obviously legally in campus. Mm-hmm. And I was just praying, Lord, probably I have to go back home. And I was in the uh, cafeteria at Moody, and uh, I was talking pretty loud with some friends, because I have a loud voice. <laughs> and a prof just came to me and said, would you see me in my office? I'm like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. So Uh-oh. I went to the office and um, was the choir director, Mr. Red from Woody Corral. <laughs> he said, can you sing? I said, well, you know, I, I can sing. Well, sing some songs for me. So I sang some songs, and then he says, look, I'm going to do something that I, I never do. This guy is a high prof, you yeah. know. You know, all that Director stuff. of the Moody That's Corral. That's right. Yeah. He said, you know, we have to go on a tour in a week. And free, uh, my basses are down. They are sick. And I need a voice, a bass voice. I said, Prof, you know, Mr. Red, I don't even know English well. I, I don't <laughs> memorize the songs. I don't have a tuxedo. I have absolutely no clue. So, you know, you just project your voice loud when I look at you. So <laughs> that's what I did. I went to, to that tour. And uh, uh, the first day of the tour, he was very agitated. And I asked him, what's wrong? And he said, well, look, we had to have a speaker for the tour. And the speaker got sick last night. We have no speaker. And he said, I don't know what to do. So I, you know, I was just sitting by him in the bus going to Michigan. And he started talking to me about my life and just asking some questions. And then suddenly he turns to me and says, listen, what if tonight I'm going to ask you the same questions and you just tell me the same answers? And we're going to do it for tonight, and maybe for tomorrow night we're going to find a speaker. And being the trained public speaker that you were. Well, <laughs> yeah, but not in English. I didn't have the gift of tongues you know, at that time. So I, I, with my broken English, just got in there. And anyhow, so from that time on, basically, for about two years, I was the speaker for the Moody Corral. And that thing just launched my speaking ministry in a way because you know then Sunday school classes different churches called me up and and other churches came along and actually supported you so you could stay at Moody yeah that's that's exactly right yeah Racine Bible Church some folks there and then it was just incredible Hmm. yep but uh, you went on to Dallas Seminary that's right and uh, when did Ann come into your life at the Moody Bridal Institute, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I was the president of the international students. And like 
Only in the American movies you can say this. She was my secretary. Okay. So, you know. I married my secretary too. So we have that in common. So we spent a lot of time together planning all kinds of activities and having good prayer time. And she came from the mission field in Africa for 10 years. She's from France. And she really wanted to be a missionary. And I mean, the Lord just brought her in my life. Okay. The two of you get married. Yes. Does she know you're going to take her back to Romania? Right from the beginning. I had absolutely no no discussion. I told her, look, sister, if you want to get serious about this stuff, I'm going back to Romania. You never wavered on that? No, no, no. no. I, don't, I don't know why. Because, you know, I, I cannot say that I'm this patriotic type of a guy. But for me, the call was clear. I have to go back to Romania. And that's what I did every summer while I was in the States. And that's where I am now. All right. Let's talk about the now. Metanoia. Yes, yes. Uh, in 2005, um, I was at uh, Trinity doing my PhD here in Deerfield, and uh, I had a dream to really start a church that will be uh, strong in the world, but at the same time relevant to the, I call it post-communist, post-modern generation in Eastern mm-hmm. Europe. And really, really, I was just praying a lot alongside. I was planning and, you know, all of these dreams of mine. And a group of Romanian believers called me up and they said, listen, Christian, we know about your vision. But listen, we are just burning to do something like this. And why don't you just come and join us? I'm like, come on, guys, in the middle of my doctorate studies, you know, I don't have time to (laughs) get back to me later. That's right. And uh, so we put five months in fasting and prayer. Me, we've on here, and they there. And after five months, it was so clear, I have to be there. Mm. So we left in 2005 from here, and it took me seven years to finish my PhD, but I done, praise God. <laughs> but in the meantime, uh, we started this church and uh, in Arad, in our city. Why and, call it metanoia? Well, because, you know, that's the heart of the gospel. We want to see transform lives. It means and, change. And transform lives come through repentance. And in the Greek, the word repentance means metanoia, the change of mind, the change of heart. And this is the core value of our church. Yeah, so that's why it's metanoia. Mm-hmm. And God has blessed it. It's growing. It's an amazing story. Well, in the past five and a half years, we grow about 100 people a year. Uh, this summer, only about 40 people came to the Lord. Uh, about 35 are right now for the fall, uh, listed for baptism. Uh, yeah, we have about uh, 500 members and about another 100, uh, we call them friends. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, lots of prodigals coming back to the church. And it's just, uh, it's, I love it. I just love it. I've visited the church in Arad on a recent Sunday morning, and I've seen how many lives are being radically changed by the power of the gospel proclaimed in that land. I also watched a service online just recently where a number of new believers were baptized. You know, that day when Christian came to the studio, we continued talking beyond our allotted radio time, and you can hear the rest of the conversation when you come to the website, firstpersoninterview.com. Here's a sample as we talk about the church in Arad. It's indeed an amazing story because it's a story of grace. It's nothing to do with men. Uh, I never dreamed to see things happening at such a high uh, pace and such an intensity. You can hear that extended conversation on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Of course, we've also placed a link there online for you to follow if you'd like to know more about Metanoia Church and God's work in Romania. It's all at firstpersoninterview.com. All of our past interviews are there to listen to as well. And by the way, we'll put pictures from the church in Romania on our Facebook page. 
Well, next week will be Christmas, and we're going to do something a little different. Instead of an interview, we're going to share the stories behind a few of your favorite Christmas carols. I'll be reading from the audiobook project 101 Hymn Stories, and some friends will provide the music, Steve Wick, Jeff Taylor, and John Ketchings, and we'll just enjoy spending Christmas together. I hope you'll join us next time. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week for First Person. We'll be right back.